Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. Good to have the Bates family with us here today. Of course, they're not strangers. And all of you, hallelujah. Amen. All right, we're going to call your attention this morning to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to ask Brother Cliff if you would turn those track lights way down or off even. And uh, 1 Samuel 17, we're going to read verse 55 and then Mark 6 and 3. But before I start this morning, I, you know, I think all of us understand that certainly after the last couple of years that we're living in a time that's just a little bit crazy. Anybody get that feeling or is it just me? But really and truly, we always need to be aware that there is a good possibility that we're even closer than what you and I think. The Bible is very clear on a couple of things coming together at just the precise time. And certainly, you know, before I get into my message, now they're trying once again to mandate that Israel gives part of Jerusalem as a capital to Palestine. You are seeing that 200 million man army that the Bible talks about, that big giant from the east that is in play today. We know him as China. And you also know that there is that big bear of the north called Magog, Russia. It's in play. Amen. We all have to be, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a preacher to tell you that, you know, that uh, the walls are going to come crashing down today. But we, we certainly need to be aware of where we are so that we, because when you understand, then your life becomes, you know, lived a little bit differently. Your prayers become a little bit more fervent because we know that we are caretakers of our families and we have to be spiritually in tune with what's going on. Is that all right? Just need to be aware. All right, 1 Samuel 17, 55, and then Mark 6 and 3 says, And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, who did he go against? Anybody know this story? What was the Philistine's name? Ah, Goliath. He was somewhere around 9 foot 6, they say. Small guy. And uh, when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner, that was his general, the captain of the host, he says, Abner, whose son is this? Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Mark 6 and 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Jose and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. In other words, he was in Nazareth. Jesus was. He was doing some things that were astounding them. And if I could just paraphrase just a little bit, they were saying, whose son is this? In fact, the Amplified reads like this from Mark. The Amplified Version says these were the religious leaders and some of the people that were closely associated with Jesus in his hometown. The Amplified Version says, and they were deeply offended by him and their disapproval 
blinded them to the fact that he was the anointed of God as the Messiah. Amen. And I'd like to preach to you this morning on this thought, whose son is this? Amen. I'm going to ask you if you would, if you'd just lift your heart to the Lord here for a couple of minutes here, and uh, amen, we're going to go into the word of the Lord here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this assembly. We thank you for the honor, God, and for to be able to open your word. We thank you for the lesson that we've already had here today. We thank you, Lord, for your presence that we are aware of, God, that is here operating through the power of the Holy Ghost. We believe, Lord, that you are here today to minister to our hearts, to draw us close to you as we see the day of the rapture of the church approaching. God, we ask your blessing here. Hallelujah. And your anointing, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. David is first mentioned in the 16th chapter of 1 Samuel. It tells a story. Samuel, we know it. Samuel sent by God to the home of Jesse to anoint the next king over Israel. We're told that David at this time was caring for his father Jesse's sheep. Amen. Most Bible commentators believe David was somewhere, listen carefully for our young people, that uh, David was somewhere approximately 11 to 15 when he was first anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. How many 11 to 15-year-olds do we have here today? Is God dealing with your heart? Just asking. And we find that, that uh, he was probably somewhere between 16 and 19. They're even thinking younger than that. But I'm going to use that uh, as a, uh, an age variance there, 16 to 19, when he faced Goliath and killed him because you had to be 20 before you were able to go into the army, into Israel's armies back then. We notice in chapter 16, 13, and 14, Samuel took the horn of his oil. Bible says he anointed David. We know the story. David was the last one to come in. That he anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And listen carefully. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Amen. The Spirit... Now, can you imagine any, uh, any of the youngest... How many of the youngest brothers do we have in the, the assembly this morning? All right, Brother Jacob. All right, there we go, Mason and Coop. Now... Now, David was number eight. They had, he had seven brothers. He was the youngest. Imagine, if you would, this little guy coming in between somewhere 11 and 15, and uh, Samuel takes the oil and pours it. All Eliab and the rest of them came through, and the Lord says, nope, 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 nope. They were out of, they were out of siblings. Samuel says, hey, you got any more? Yeah, we got one, but, you know, he's just a little fella. His name's Mason. I mean, sorry, I'm just, he said, but he's just out there, you know, taking care of things. And, and uh, Samuel says, you go get him because we are not leaving until he comes in. Can you imagine the little bit of a animosity between the brothers as Samuel, the prophet, he takes that oil and he anoints little David in front of his dad, in front of all of his brothers. That's a big weight to carry. And so David's timeline from there, kind of, it may look something like this. He is anointed maybe at 14. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The, a troubled spirit is with Saul, Saul Cole calls for a musician at this point. David becomes the musician that worships God. And then we're told that David becomes Saul's armor bearer. He stays with Saul for a while. He goes back home. 
Then we hear Jesse sends David to the battlefront with some cornbread, corn and bread, but we might as well make it cornbread, right? For his brothers, he says, David, he says, go check on your brothers there on the heat of battle with the Philistines. Bring me back word and let me know how they're doing. David gets there in time to hear Goliath challenge the army of Israel. He says, send me a man. I think that that is the challenge that has always been out there. Evil against good. The size and maybe, you know, the size and the multitude confronts the church in the day. But it's always been about God give, it isn't the voice of Goliath send me a man, but I believe that God is calling today. And he's saying, send me a man that is willing, that is willing to go. Amen. We know David gets there in time. He hears Goliath challenge the army of Israel. His brothers are there. They've been going through this little process for 40 days. Each time the giant appears, the army of Israel retreats in fear. We hear the famous words of David, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the army of God? David's oldest brother, Eliab, who still is a little stirred up because of the anointing on his youngest brother, he, he hears David telling the soldiers, that, yeah, I'll, let me at him, I'll go fight him. Eliab says this, he says, Eliab calls David out and he rebukes him and he says, who's watching the sheep? He says, I know you. One version says this, Eliab says, I know how you are overconfident and headstrong, or could we say you're a little cocky for a youngster, but what he does not know, what he does not understand is that that anointing of God that has been put on him, it is not anything that is associated with fear. It is all about faith. And Eliab tries to downplay him. He tries to put him back in his place, per se. And David says, he says, you just let me go fight him. We know David suits up. Goliath sees him coming. He looks, he's got a strain to see this kid, right? We don't know how old he is. 15 to 19, maybe. Goliath sees him and he says this. He says, who would send this runt out to fight against me? Goliath cursed David by his gods, it says. If you know anything about Philistines, they had a, he went on for a while. Then told David, he said, David, I'm going to feed you to the birds. David's reply was, dude, you come at me with your sword and your shield. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, whom you have offended. And he says, today, he says, that God that I come to you in his name, that he's going to deliver you into my hand, and I'm going to take your head off. And David, as David is walking off the field, holding the head of Goliath in his hand, Saul asked his general Abner, that who had been hiding away for 40 days, he says, Abner, whose son is this?
This is David, the son of Jesse. You see, we know David would go on to become Israel's greatest king. And we're still telling this story of his great, his great start, his slaying of Goliath. It still is going strong and as powerful as it was 3,000 years ago, the day that it happened. But possibly... David's greatest legacy was, well, there's a couple of things, but we'll, a couple of things. Number one, well, the Bible says that David, God says, David's a man after my own heart. Forget the giant, that's, that's a bigger thing here, right? The city of Jerusalem is called the city of David. God made a covenant with David. This covenant was that the king of successing or the ongoing leadership, the ongoing crown of God's people would never be vacant. It would never depart from David's family. That was a covenant. That means no, never. There will always be a royal king coming from David's lineage. His greatest legacy. Wow. Jesus Christ would be born as what the Bible calls the branch of Jesse. Listen to these words. David's greatest legacy would be these words that are actually come from the New Testament, Matthew 1 and 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Who is this son? 17 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Fulfilling the prophecy of 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter. In the New Testament books of Matthew and Luke, they both provide, they both validate the family lineage of Jesus. Jesus is a descendant of adoption through Joseph and by blood through Mary. They both go directly back to David. The title of Son of David is more than a statement of physical genealogy. It is a messianic title. When people referred to Jesus as the Son of David, they were expressing their belief that He was the long-awaited deliverer, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Matthew 1 and 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then her husband Joseph, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, the Amplified Version says it this way, and not wanting to expose her to public shame, planned to send her away and divorce her quietly. But after he had considered his plan, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. How would you like to base raising the Son of God on a dream? And that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost, 
and she shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name, thank you, Brother Clementson, yes, you will call his name, a name that is above every name, a name whereby we must be saved. You're going to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 13, and Jesus was teaching, and they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They said, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's son? In other words, they were saying, Whose son is this? Luke 5 says, as Jesus was teaching, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them, they let down a man through the roof who was paralyzed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven. The angel said, Joseph... When Mary has this child, you're going to call his name Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And those that were around him, the Pharisees said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus said, you need to know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Aren't you glad this morning that you understand and that you believe in the power of the name of Jesus to wash away all of your sins? You see, the Son of Man simply means that, that His humanity was, it represents His humanity and His messianic purpose in coming to save us as it points back to prophecy which it fulfills. In other words, this great God that we know, they knew in the Old Testament as Jehovah, we know Him in the New Testament as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the invisible God, took on human flesh, was birthed from Mary, a virgin, without the seed of man. And he was, he was traveling the countryside, preaching and teaching with power and authority, and he was healing people, and now he was saying, man, your sins are forgiven you. And they said, who can forgive sins alone but God? Jesus said, just to let you know. Just to let you know that I have power on earth to forgive sins. He said, man, your sins are forgiven Take up your bed and walk. Matthew 15, 22, a woman of Canaan cried out to Jesus as she, he was passing by. She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Let me just throw this out there. Something's been on my, my heart lately, and there's, I heard somebody mention to me this morning that somebody that they knew, OD, died. I heard here last week, freshman, Hanford, suicide. Listen. This woman cried out. She says, oh, Lord, God, son of David. She said, have mercy on me, 
because my daughter is severely demon-possessed. I Listen, I'm just here that to remind you, to remind your parents, I'm telling you, that we are in a day that you, you must, you must be on that prayer level with God concerning your children because they are facing things that you and I have no clue what they go through. You need to know. You need to be aware. You need to understand where they are when they wake up and where they are when they go to bed. You need to understand their frame of mind. But I'm here to remind, whose son is this anyway? He is Jesus, and he can heal you of depression and oppression and everything else that you got. But you've got to give him opportunity. You've got to come before him. You've got to express to him. She said, Lord, son of David, the titles of honor that she was given him declared her faith in him, calling him Lord, expressed her sense of his deity and his power and his dominion, calling him the son of David, expressed her faith that he was the son of God. Jesus asked his disciples, he said, whom do men say that I am? Whom do men, who, who do they, what do they write about God? What do they write about the Lord Jesus Christ anymore? They try to put him off as if that he is a second-rate God or that he has no power. I'm here to declare to you and to remind you that in him is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and by his name. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They say, well, you know, and it's okay to call him a prophet. It's okay to call him a good teacher. It's okay to call him a guru or whatever. But Jesus said, no, that's not good enough. He says, I need somebody to understand who I am. He said, Peter, who am I? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon that statement, Jesus said, that's good. He says, because, he says, because I'm going to build my church. He said, I am going. He said, I am here to begin the process of building my church on this earth. And he says, your statement, Peter, is going to be what is needed for a person's faith to get a hold of me and understand who I am. I am not just a third part of God. I am the invisible Jehovah God out of the Old Testament. He said, I am here and I am He. Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, they go up there and, whoa, out pops Moses and Elijah. Whoa, where are you coming from? That'd be enough to get my attention, right? People have been dead for a while. Well, and Elijah's not dead, but Moses, the Bible says that God mo- that buried Moses. That's what it says. God buried Moses. Book of Jude says that Michael and and uh, one of the, Lucifer, who they had a struggle over his body. All I know is God won. So they're up there on top of that mountain. And uh, getting a little warm up there, you know. Yeah, I just say that out there. And the uh, Bible says that, 
wow, there, there they were. And, and Peter wakes up, apparently before the others, and he, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. He heard them talking. The Bible says that they heard Moses, Elijah, and Jesus talking about his descent. So, is it possibility, our Bible scholars out there, that, that there's it possible that Elijah and Moses, they were, they were not included in the re, this part of the redemption plan of God until right then? I don't know, Brother Jeff, but what I do know is that was a pretty powerful meeting. The Bible says Jesus was talking to them, trying, apparently, he began to explain to them about how that he was going to go to Calvary and give his life as a sacrifice on a cross. And I'm sure that that probably got their attention. Peter wakes up and he sees him and he, all he knows is that, whoa, Elijah's been riding around up there for a long time and Moses, you're dead, but... I'm seeing you here. He wakes up and he says, you know, it's good that, we're, that we were here in this revival here, this little seminar. He says, Lord, he says, how about we build three booths? How about, how, how about if we build three churches right here, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you, and watch what happens. Listen carefully. The Bible says this, that, that, uh, uh, that when this goes on, that while Peter was speaking, a shining cloud composed of light overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my beloved, with whom, this is from the Amplified Bible, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am and have always been delighted. Listen to him. Whose son is this? Nobody owns him. He's not a prophet. He's not just mere mortal man, but he is the very essence of the invisible God that came in flesh. Whose son is this? Ha! He is. Nobody owns him. He is the son of God. He is the God that has always been and always will be, but he knew that he had to come and save my soul, and so he came as my redeemer, savior, willing to pay the cost of my ransom. This is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. I kind of, when he, I look at this scripture, I have to go back to the very beginning of the Lord's first miracle. Got to love what Mary said. Mary said, hey, he's waited 30 years to get into this thing. She said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. See, a lot of times we don't, and I'm not throwing this out there to befuddle anybody, but I wonder sometimes, you know, there's 18 years in between 12 and 30. And you tell me when, when, when the fullness of the Godhead resided in him. You tell me when he had the power. He had to fulfill all scripture. But because, listen, here's my, my thoughts on this. But because of his humanity, because that he had to be our high priest, because he had to feel the infirmity that we all go through, the pain, the suffering, the loss, the heartache, that I believe from 12 to 30, in a sense, he sat on his hands as spiritual deity, and he sat at the supper table with mom and dad and the kids, and he felt the heartache of suffering and sickness, and he walked down the streets, and saw the suffering that was, he saw the lepers, he saw the blind, and he was moved, and he was moved. That's why that 
The Bible says in, when he performed that first miracle of turning the water into wine, the Bible says that, he be, that this was the first miracle that he began to manifest his glory. Do you know what, how powerful that was in his, in his mind? And he had waited for 30 years and he was ready to go, man. Yeah. From there we find he goes to what we call the Last Supper. It's a, it's a Passover, and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. But see, and then we know he, he laid in the grave for day, three days. He came out of that grave, and then he showed himself alive. He showed himself alive for 40 days for up to 500 people at one time. You tell me how you contradict that newsflash. And the Bible says that he ascended. He blessed them and he ascended up into the heavens. They, it's beyond our comprehension, right? I mean, you can't. Yeah, I can't. I can't even try. And the angels had the audacity to say, What's the problem? What are you looking up there for? Really? <laughs> they said, this same Jesus. This same Jesus that you see taken up into the clouds, you're going to come again in the clouds. Paul said, and he's going to receive you into himself. I don't know how you get, I don't know how we ride in clouds of glory, but it's going to happen. But you see, the atonement, our redemption, does not include, the whole work of salvation is not just in the atonement covering, the blood covering. You see, Jesus is alive. Let me say again, you know, Jesus, that ascended back into his heavenly abode and has been there for 2,000. He's alive. He is alive. You see, because Jesus never has to take a vacation. He never goes to sleep. He ascended to carry on his work to further develop his work on earth in the hands of you and me believers. He placed his work into your hands. He came to earth to save us. He ascended to oversee his established work. I'm telling you, he is watching you and me right here today. He has, oh, he is overseeing everything that pertains to his church. And we have a cloud of witnesses that have already ascended or sleeping or whatever they're doing. But Paul said, and you have a cloud of witnesses that have already run the course. And they're saying, oh, yeah, come on, church. You are living in a time that is unprecedented. And the glory of God is overshadowing you. He is anointing you. He is with you. Oh, I think some of you don't get it. You understand? He ascended to oversee his work. And he is at a very high and lofty place to where he can see everything that goes on. That's why John, in the first chapter he wrote, and he was talking about in the beginning was the word, word was with God, the same, the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, so on and so forth. But listen, in verse number 12 and 13, the Bible says, but as many as received him, because 
He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now listen carefully. But as many as received him who Jesus Christ in the power of the blood, in the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, to though, to though as many as received him, to them gave he, gave Jesus from on high. He gave them the power, listen carefully, to become the sons of God. Which, listen carefully, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but were born of God. You did not stop me. You cannot stop me from being born of my Savior God. And you cannot stop me from serving God. You can't stop me from believing what I'm preaching is going to get you to heaven. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 but when God's time had fully arrived, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. I'm just, I'm just reading to you scripture this morning. I think, I think there's somebody here today that you are selling your birthright at a very, very low level of spiritual power. I'm here to tell you that if you are born again, if you have been born of the water and of the Spirit by the virtue of your new birth, Jesus Christ has adopted you. That you might receive the full rights of sons, and because you are sons, God sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and the Spirit within us has the legitimate right legally to cry out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you an heir. I know. A little bit too far. I, really? I'm, a, I'm an heir. I'm, come on. You don't, Andrew, you don't really believe that, do you? God adopted me to be part of his family. And he gave me full legal rights to claim. To claim that I have the right to call on the name because that spirit is within me that has that, what does the Bible call it? The, uh, the essence of your inheritance on earth. It, that spirit in me has the legal right to cry out, Abba, Father, I am in need of you. Ephesians chapter number 1, that the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. How many of you know who Jesus is? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. My, <laughs> I, I am, I am so rich. You are looking at a multi-billionaire. And what is it exceeding?
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Here it is. It is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above principality. It's okay now. He's above the sin. He's above the war. He's above the famine. He, there is no scarceness in heaven. They're telling us we better stock up because we, you know, winter's coming. Y2K all over. Better buy a couple of generators and make, you know, make sure the ammo's dry. And I'm not downplaying any of that, trust me. But also, says it, that power that is part of the inheritance in the saints, okay? Which, the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. <laughs> I don't know what kind of power that took, but that was some pretty good. In fact, it was so powerful that it just didn't stop with the Lord himself. But the Bible says that all of these Old Testament saints, they come out of the graves walking around in Jerusalem. He says that same power that was in Christ when he raised him from the dead, now has seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What is that name? Thank you, yeah, Jesus, huh? And he put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things, to the church, which is his body. Now, you tell me how much care that he has for the church if we are the body of Christ, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. As they come to, we're going to close here. Amen, as you stand. You see, Jesus is alive forevermore. Do you really, do we really get it? Do you know that that glorified body that he took up into heaven, that, imagine this, a God that has no beginning and no ending, that glorified body he has chosen, okay, to retain that glorified body with you and me for eternity. That means that we are going to be walking with the God of all creation. He didn't, he's not just in it for a moment and disappear, right? His, his mind, his creation, his power, brother, all his, his intention that to show you and me how much he loves us and to give us this unbelievable opportunity for salvation and eternity that he is going to walk with us brother Jeff for eternity and I'm, I'm telling you it's like you're going to the Bible says that we will see him huh what through a glass a dark a mirror smoking glass no what does it say we'll see him as as he is right here bud It's hard to, but he's alive today. He is alive today, and he is on his throne. What does the Bible say that his throne is right now? What is it? Throne of judgment? No. The throne of grace. He operates everything. You got to get this. You understand? Is it everything in the New Testament, the New Covenant, Everything is all about 
restoring mankind to a place of salvation. There is no per se judgment right now. He operates from the throne of grace. One day we will bow before him. Today he is alive and well and he sits on the throne of grace. What does that mean? The Bible says in Hebrews 7, so Jesus is my intercession. He makes it possible for me to enter into the presence of God. Intercession represents a person coming before God to ask his blessing upon another. He is making it possible for us to have all that God has available to us every moment. Other words, when I, when I got a problem, and I always, I am a problem, but I have problems too. What I'm saying is, that, here's what that means. Is it symbolically, okay? Not symbolically, he is sitting on the throne, okay? Don't get, symbolically, when you and I have a problem, we are to boldly come before the throne of grace and I say, hey, Jesus, will you accept my sincere apology and my repentance or whatever it is that I need? I need healing. I need whatever it is. I need you to bless my brother that he is the one. He intercedes for me. He comes on my behalf. He's my lawyer. He's my advocate. He pleads my case before the very throne of God. Now, what are you going to do when he pleads your case for you? What is the adversary? What's he going to do? The Bible says he is alive and he makes intercession for us. He is able to, to supply all our need according to His riches in heaven. We may come boldly before the throne of grace. I have an advocate with the Father. I ask Him to plead my case. And what we're doing in a sense, listen to me carefully, is it in a sense when, when you mess up, when you go in debt, right? trespasses, <laughs> what I do is I say, Lord, I need to transfer my debt over to your account. You have enough in your account to cover my expenses today. Am I exaggerating what the problem said? According to his riches. I am, I am nothing, Brother Ollie, without him. I am nothing. And I always have to come before him and say, Lord, you're the only one that I can come to because you're the only one rich enough to accept. You would just put it on your account for me. That's why the Bible says that humility. Sister Marilyn, you nailed it to the cross. Sister Marley, you nailed it to the cross. You can never run up your debt big enough to where he can't accept it on his credit card. That's why talking early. I'm, I've been talking to some folks about trying to get our facilities debt free. We're working on it. No amen? Hallelujah. Oh! <laughs> but do you know what it's like to be debt free? 
from the inside out. I am pleased, my friend. I owe somebody. And if I do owe you a debt of forgiveness, here it is. Forgiveness. Young people, listen to me. Never get to the point where you cannot go to your mom and your dad. Forget them teachers, okay? That's your mom and dad's teacher, okay? Forget them teachers. Forget them counselors. You go to mom and dad. You be up front with them. You say, hey, dad, man, I, 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 need, I, I, I need your ear. Mom, I need you. I need to hear. I need you to hear where I'm at right now. But here, the deal is the only way that you and I are going to have, the Bible says that he would illuminate our understanding is that we have that spirit of the resurrected one in us that can pray, that can pray, Abba, Father, I need you because he needs me. Don't get to, never get to a place where, where you feel like you can't go to someone. You go to somebody. And even if you're, if you're a grown-up, you go to somebody. Don't carry that thing around. Jesus, we just want to open up the altar here and give you an opportunity here today. I believe the Lord is speaking to somebody here today. You need to get this message. Whose son... Don't worry about it. He's God. You have every right to come before him and to call upon his name. His name is Jesus. He is the everlasting, all-forgiving, all-rich God. Would you come this morning? If you have a need this morning, if you'll come and if you'll just... Bring it to the altar. You'll bring it to the altar. Come on, there's, there's somebody here that needs to get this. You need to be able to be forthright and to be bold and come up here and say, God, I really, I really, I really, I really, I really want to understand who you really are in my life and that I can come to you anytime for any reason and you're going to be there to hear me. Hallelujah. That's it. Come on, let's lift him up. Let's raise your voice, will you? Call upon the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, that's it. Come on. Come on.
Appreciate these young men here. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. What a thought. What a thought. Our lives working on our behalf. <laughs> oh, God. Let's lift our hearts one more time. Amen. Brother Alex, would you be so kind to pray and dismiss us, please?